Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Movember Radio. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Thanks for being here. This is a weekly podcast focusing on men's health and the issues that men face today. There's more than 5 million people in the Movember community worldwide and each week we speak with someone from that community who's passionate about changing the face of men's health. If you never want to miss an episode, just subscribe in the podcast app of your choice, which you're probably using right now, or uh, you can find it on SoundCloud or iTunes. Now, this week... Sees us mark World Suicide Prevention Day. It's on Thursday, the 10th of September. In Australia, it's known as Are You OK Day. This day is about speaking up to reduce the stigma around talking about suicide prevention safely. It's about standing up to make a positive impact on our mental health and well-being. It's about being self-informed and aware of support and services that are available to all those touched by suicide and those building a resilient community to prevent suicide. So, my guest this week is Marshall Dunn. Marshall Dunn is an author, speaker, suicide loss mentor, and coach at marshalldunn.com. In October 2002, Marshall's elder brother Mitch took his own life. Mitch had suffered depression for quite a long time and didn't want to receive the help that was on offer to him. Marshall started writing as his way of dealing with his grief, and this ended up becoming his career. Three years ago, with the help of a mentor, Marshall had a breakthrough and now works with others who've had the same experience to share with them what he's learned. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Marshall Dunn. How you doing, Marshall? I'm very well, mate. Yourself? I'm, I'm, I'm all right. It's a cold and, and rainy day here in beautiful Sydney, Australia. Where are yep. you? I'm on um, the Upper West Side right now of Manhattan. I'm just uh, visiting a couple of uh, mates. I'll just show you where I am right now. So up high and um, ready to talk to you, mate. <laughs> That's uh, lovely. What what takes you to New York? Uh, just visiting friends. I uh, used to. I went to school here for about 18 months back in 2005, 2006, when I was at uh, at film school and made some uh, some nice friends, mate. But I'm usually I'm based in LA. But I thought I'd come over and. Say hello to some friendly faces. By the sound of your action, that's Upper West Side of Manhattan is a fair way from where you grew up. Uh, yes. I grew up in, in Sydney, and um, I'll be back in Sydney sort of October, November, December. So I'm looking forward to seeing the family, mate. I've got a new nephew I haven't met yet, a couple of weddings, so it should be good. 
as someone who's lived overseas, it is nice when your family members do compact all of the birthdays, births, weddings, anniversaries, etc., into the summer period. No, it is. And uh, my brother's been calling me. He's like, so I need to lock down a date for the church, for the christening, this, that. So everyone's been very accommodating. And even um, I'm in the bridal party for one of these weddings and everyone's been very accommodating. So, mate, it's uh, a nice little... Uh, Good to have good friends. It sounds like you're from a fairly big family, Marshall. Uh, there's four boys, which is, and we all start with M. I don't know what my parents were thinking at the time. But uh, uh, in terms of extended family, uh, not so big. A lot of close family and friends that I like to call family. What number of boy are you? I'm number three. I'm the, the kid that got away with everything. Bit of the black sheep and, you know, allowed to juggle knives and whatever else. Yeah. I know the feeling. I'm number, I'm number two of four, so... I got away with a lot, but not quite as much as what number four got away with. Yeah. Well, number four, the, the baby of the family seems to just, everyone's just a little overprotective of the baby. I find the babies of the family, like my little brother, um, he always stays the little baby. You know what I mean? I know why we're talking today. And our listeners, I will have told them in the intro why we're talking today. Yet, I think it's important that we kind of say that it's still a little uncomfortable to bring up why we're talking today. What's the best way from you as someone who's on that side of this conversation what's the best way to approach the topic of suicide with someone that you know has been affected by it look i think uh, for me personally it's a lot easier because i've been through it and if i know that someone else has already been through it you know i always come from a very open genuine warm empathetic place and not because i you know, i feel like that's a chore that's just a part of my nature in anything that you do if you come across as authentic in, in whatever you do, you know, there's going to be a good chance people are going to open up and be receptive to it. Having said that, um, it is a topic that's shrouded in secrecy and, and stigma. And, you know, I was at a party the other week and I was chatting to a couple. The gentleman had been through it with his mum and still carried a lot of, you know, anger and resentment. And that was like 10, 12 years on. And I could tell the way his body language very early on in the conversation, he felt a little uncomfortable. But it wasn't until I sort of started to not so much ask him about his experience that I started to open up and say, hey, this is what I went through. I know exactly, um, you know, how you can, you know, get, get lost in some of these fear-based emotions that can really overpower you. And, um, you know, it's a scar that we, that we carry, but with the scar is also sometimes an invitation to, to explore our grief um, and suffering and pain because there, there is an intelligence to that. And, and sometimes it can really be, a doorway to, you know, learning more, loving more, sharing more, uh, creating more. But in terms of, to answer your question, I just try and be as open and honest as possible. And if I get put down, then so be it. But it's come a time now where it's time to start talking about these things more so. And, you know, that's why I'm so grateful to Movember. You know, Adam's done a great job creating this movement um, that not just deals with, you know, mental health, but, you know, men's health as a, as a whole. And to be honest with you, like, it's created huge conversations, you know, I'm sure has transformed lives, changed lives, saved lives. That's my whole mission right now is to give suicide survival, but also prevention, the whole realm of suicide, um, a bigger voice. And coming from a younger, I hope to think more of a, a relatable guy as well. I can do that and reach as many people as I can. You have found a life calling born out of a great tragedy, yeah. Marshall. Yeah. Would, it, would it be okay if you, you took us through what happened before, what happened, and then what happened after? Yeah, absolutely. So October 1st, 2002 was the night 
you know, we got the call. It was almost like the, the cliche in a way, like the police knocking at the door. And I didn't, I didn't answer the, um, answer the door. I, I heard it, but I just thought, you know, went back to sleep. And then I woke up to my mum sitting at the edge of my bed and um, my brother had been missing for a couple of days. And, you know, when I woke up, woke up and saw her at the end of my bed, sort of like sobbing, you know, she didn't have to say anything. I just, it just hit me and I, and I knew. And from that moment on, it was like this gigantic, you know, tsunami of just fear. You just, I just became so afraid of everything in that moment. And you're completely numb and broken and, you know, just completely mentally, spiritually, emotionally, you just shut down and it really takes the stuffing out of you. And, you know, that was our family of six, now five, and especially as those four boys that started with M, you know, Matthew Mitchell, Marshall Morgan, there was a, a big missing piece to that puzzle. And, you know, it's, it's hard to deal with in that moment. You know, it's still hard to deal with today. It's, like I said, it's a scar you carry. But in that moment, mate, I was seen as the brave one in the family. And for, you know, the first two years afterwards, or even, even longer, I had, I put on a really brave face and people were like, you're doing so well, this, that, and the other, you're so strong. But that's half the problem as well. When you go through something like this is you feel isolated. And also as well, you feel like the spotlight's on you a little bit. You know, you maybe you, you think that people are going to see you or your family is crazy. And, you know, exploring my grief was not something that I, I wanted to do. I just kept everything bottled up inside. And what happens to the Coke can that's, you know, fizzing beneath? Eventually, it's going to come out in some capacity, whether it's, you know, in some area of your life, whether it's career, relationships, uh, family, whatever. And that's obviously what happened to me. I was someone that always kept my cards very close to myself, but it, it heavily impacted me on a lot of areas in my life. And I didn't realize just how much until, you know, probably quite a few years later down the track. And, you know, it affected my brothers and everyone in their own different ways, you know, going through a grief is a, a grief unto itself, I think, you know, it really hit individuals, the individuals in the family differently. And we came from a family that, although we're very close knit, talking about it was absolutely, to be honest with you, it was almost swept under the rug like it is in society because, you, you know, you're so hurt. And our way of dealing with it was, you know, we'd have family lunches and not that we didn't do that. We we're always a, a happy, close family, but even more so, they became special times. And you, there was this air of just, you know, people wanted to talk about it, I think, but just didn't know how to approach it as a whole. Um, thankfully, my mum is a very good sounding board um, and always has been. Um, and, you know, one-on-one -on -one conversations within the family. But it took a, a long time to really come together as a unit and, um, and begin the conversation. And in a way, the work that I'm doing now over the last couple of years is doing a lot of the healing as well um, and will continue to, to help with the healing within the family. What, um, what, was, what was going on in your, in, in your brother's life uh, that you recall beforehand? Look, did, you, did you notice anything? Uh, look, my brother had um, you know, suffered from you know, depression for quite a long time. It's funny, I was having this conversation the other day. I don't think he was, you know, had a, a mental illness, so to speak, in terms of bipolar or schizophrenic or anything like that. I think my brother had fallen into a big hole in terms of he was maybe a, he was attached to a lot of things that had happened in the past, I think, and had trouble moving through that. And then when you can compound that with drugs and alcohol and the wrong crowd, 
then, you know, it's a slippery slope. And we sort of saw him sort of become more and more defeated. No matter how much love, no matter how much support, no matter how much, you know, help and options we threw at him, you know, he just, he didn't in a way want to accept responsibility for his own actions. He didn't want to uh, receive the help that was on offer. And unfortunately, mate, he, he saw this as the only option out of his out of his darkness. And I feel like that's a lot, a lot of the case with a lot of people who may be quote unquote on the fringe. I had this feeling that, you know, if he, he might've done it a different way because my brother had so much, uh, he was a very sensitive guy, but so much love, so much life, you know, to see him grow up as this kid with, you know, like these flowing gold, gold locks and bright blue eyes and big smile and a great athlete and a great academic and then to see the, the sparkle in the eye just go and not really know who your brother was the last sort of seven, ten years of his life. It's a completely different guy. But, you know, that's the bit that hurts. It's the, it's the not knowing what his life could have been if he had walked a little bit closer to the light or know that there was light at the end of, um, you know, wasn't too far away. And unfortunately, mate, the, the, that, that self-love went with that was – the only way he saw out of his pain was to, you know, tap himself on the shoulder and check out. That's, that's sorry. Yeah. It's very, very it's tough okay. to hear. That's very tough to hear. Uh, yeah. But I'm also feeling like a lot of empathy for you. You mentioned something that really struck me just then that you were trying to help, but he wasn't receptive. That must have been very frustrating. Yeah, mum and dad especially were, you know, like, whether it was counseling, therapy, but love, talking about it, you know. And this was a continuous thing over like, you know, seven to ten years. But I feel like, like I said, when he was, felt defeated, he just, he looked defeated. And something really eerie, I can tell you a story if you don't mind. On the, the day of his, um, his death, my mum and my brother were driving across the Eastern Distributor. And obviously I just drive, she's done it a million times before. I think they were going to Paddington. And, you know, when they came to fork in the road, whether to take the, the Bondi exit or the Randwick exit, of course, you take the Bondi exit. And in that moment, before she got to the, the fork in the road, she was overcome with this, like, crazy confusion and just became, um, you know, hysterical and was like, to my little brother Morgan, it was like, which way, which way do I go? Which way do I go? I don't know where to turn. I don't know what to do. Morgan was like, take, take the Bondi exit like we always do. Take the left. And that she looked down at the clock and it was four o'clock and she had this really sickly feeling in her stomach about Mitchell and that it's something had happened. And we later learned that, you know, four o'clock was exactly basically the time that he passed. And in my eyes, it was like that was his cry for help. And I don't think when I said he might have done things differently, I didn't know. Maybe he didn't know what he was getting into. And, but obviously, once you take that step, it's death is irreversible. So I, I hope he's found what he was looking for in death. But um, like I said, I think he may have been, he was really on the fringe. And I think that was his final cry to help. And, you know, that's a, a testament to the mother and uh, son, you know, relationship, that, that strong intuition that there is no separation. You mentioned that there was you put on a very brave face and that you you bottled things up and you mentioned the yeah. you know the soft drink can put under a lot of pressure and that eventually that pressure was released all at once. At what point on that path do you realize okay enough's enough? Yeah, you're right. Like um, for me, it was. Um 
Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in 6 months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. mintmobile.com/switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month, unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month, face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 53124 get 6 months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after 6 months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Two steps forward, one step back. There were glimpses very early on where I heard this uh, calling within. Um, sounds really strange, but there was amidst the um, the grief and the pain, there was actually a voice saying, "Come within, like go inside. You know, come come sit with yourself, be quiet with yourself." But at that point, I hadn't really let myself mourn, and I finished uni, and I decided just to get out of Australia. I went to Japan for a little while to teach English to little kids, and I was literally in this studio apartment with no TV, no nothing, didn't know a lick of Japanese, and I was just silent in this room, and that's when it all just started pouring out. That was just my time alone, and it just—it came. I remember one day crying for like you know six or seven hours just on a on, on the lounge. But through that as well, I picked up a pen and started writing. And when I say I started writing, I started filling up books and books and books of prose, poems, songs, this, that, and the other. And I was never a writer or in touch with my artistic side before that. I was very much. A jock. It was all athletics, you know. From day one, that's all I did: bat and ball, running around a track, you name it. I did it. In that moment of grief, and this is what I was talking about before: the this, uh, the grief has some kind of intelligence, I think. So what came out of me was, you know, this uh, this gift to be to be a writer, and not only a writer, you know, a, a voice for the people. And that was in its infancy. That's when I first started to like sort of go within, sit within myself, started to meditate. But then I come back to Sydney and fall into old habits, and then still not comfortable talking to people about it, not trusting within myself what was actually happening, and so falling into bad habits again. So I'd have these glimpses of breakthrough, back, you know, breakthrough, back. But then eventually, it was when I got to LA about three years ago that the final breakthrough kind of happened, and it just stuck, where I really went into all the painful moments from. Whether it was guilt, shame, blame, anger, isolation, all of it, and in great detail, with the help of a mentor, and really getting in touch with my subconscious, and, and going into those moments, clearing them, and and really seeking the, looking at the the benefits and the gifts and the lessons and how it served me to where I am in my life right now. And 
that's why I say right now, when I think of my brother, Mitch, I, I do it with a smile these days and a warm heart because that's the truth. That's what happens. But previously, it was with a frown and a tear in my eye. That's the scar you carry. But the reason why I'm doing the work that I am now is because I want. there is inspiration and hope to be gained through an experience like this. And uh, for me, it took basically the better half of 10 years. And that's my story. I feel like if there was someone like me, uh, maybe three years into my grief, that I could sit and talk with, you know, that had been through it all and had come out on the other side with a story to tell, I would have, I think, maybe moved along in the process a lot quicker. Counselors and therapists were great in the moment for what they did. A couple of them, though, were had no idea what I was going through and I just felt like I was going around in circles with them. So these days, and some of the people I work with, they're like, you know, give me someone that's been through it all and let, let's talk about it. So I'm not a therapist, I'm not a counselor, but I'm, a, I'm someone that's uh, it's been through it all. Suicidal suicidal thoughts affect affect many men around the world, yeah. more people than I think the general public has a concept of. What should men do if they find themselves struggling within themselves and they, they find the darkness coming? Well, well, you've got to become aware of it, you know, aware of your own um, habits and thoughts. But like I said, at some point, if you've had enough as well and you want help, you, you have to take a step. You have to be brave. I've been to a place where I'm like, I'm really hurting. And that one little conversation or that one little knock on the door, it's not as scary as, as you think. And people want to help. The people care about you, especially if you're in their, their family. They want the best for you. And it's like I always say about with my brother's passing, you know, would he want me to go on and live a, a really sad, uneventful, unhealthy life just because he, he's gone? He doesn't want this loss to define the rest of my life. So I'm no doctor, but what I am in terms of saying something like this, you've, it's not as bad. Like, just take that first step. Take that first step because after that, It'll get better. It'll get better. It'll get better. But seek all the, there's so many options out there and alternatives for people these days, you know, whether it's through crisis hotlines, you know, Beyond Blue, Black Dog, you know, are you okay? It starts with, with a bravery. And look, just know to these people that are listening that the light isn't far away. Like it, it, it truly isn't. This world is, is based on balance. There's never been a light without a dark, a sadness without a, a joy, an advantage without a disadvantage. Keep that in mind and just take that first step. What about for men or women in your situation who have had a friend or a family member uh, go through this? Yeah, well, you can come and talk to me. But no, I, uh, I was going to say the suicide support groups are amazing if you can handle being in a room with people that are going to be shedding tears and visibly shaking and if you find comfort in that great there's you know obviously counselors and therapists if you can find the right person fantastic um get involved in organizations as well like uh, over here i've got involved with american foundation for suicide prevention and um, they've got the the out of the darkness walk coming up in santa monica and that's been will be a great place to sort of mingle with people that have been through you know, similar circumstances. So it's really reaching out and finding your, uh, your new community because I really feel like if you keep to yourself with this type of stuff, and I've seen it with family and friends that have gone through it, you isolate yourself. Right now, you need to be strength in numbers. You know, you need, to, you need that love and support more than ever. So I would suggest, and also as well, keep a look at your lifestyle as well. It's super important to externalize your grief and whether that is through 
if you're, if you're not a crier, like exercise, you know, diet, feed yourself joy. Even though these little things uh, may sound like little things, but feeding yourself joy in a time is, you know, a little bit joyless helps with the pain and, and be, be grateful for the little things. And I know it's hard to be grateful again in these circumstances where you just think like, you know, what's the world done to me? Be grateful and appreciative just for the little things. Um, so that that would be my suggestion. I'm sure there's a, a million others I'll think of when I get off the phone. <laughs> what about for men and women who, say, for example, the, the mates that were around you at the time, what would you have wished for them? What would you have wished for, for them to know or, or what would you have wanted them to do or yeah. how can we, for people in our lives, yeah. kind of on the periphery of our social circles going through this, how can we help? Great question. Great question. A couple of my mates were they didn't know how to approach it to the point where not that they'd avoid me but I, I, I could tell they felt very uncomfortable but it wasn't until we'd had a few drinks and then a few more drinks and then some other misguided spiritual seeking that you know things came out and they were there but one thing I would have loved was just you know a hand on the shoulder or a hand on the knee and just I'm here for you. You know, you're not alone. And it, it doesn't have to be much. You know, people are always wondering, like, oh, I don't know what to say, that and the other. It's like, you don't have to say much. You just have to be there and literally hand on the shoulder, hand on the arm, give them a hug, and it's just, I'm here for you. Whatever you need, I'm here for you, and you're not alone. I'm with you on this. Um, they're just the little things. But, again, coming back to the stigma and the secrecy involved in suicide, people are conditioned to think differently about it you know what i mean and the that's why we need to keep this awareness and education um on both sides of the coin um you know if you have a friend that does experience it you know you can go straight in there and be by his side from day one what about for guys who can see their mates heading down a, a kind of a darker path what are some things that you should be watching out for yeah like irregular activity especially if you're um your close mates you know change of friends you know like if they sort of move away from your core friends and you are involved you see the type of people that they're hanging out with and you you have a feeling that okay these people aren't sort of like serving well you know that that type of personality changes in personality i, I found are, are, are a big one um and that's something as a good friend you've got to be really conscious of um yeah erratic behavior just things out of the out of the ordinary and i know this is an an extraordinary time and things are going to be there is going to be some changes i know for me i um you know, made some pretty poor choices along along my path. But you've got to be, if you're a close mate, it would be my advice to, to keep an eye on your close mates in this time. And don't, again, don't be afraid because they're really hurting right now. Like I said, suicide's a, a grief until its own. There's so many unanswered questions. There's so much that they're dealing with and it's a, a real turbulent time and the, the emotions fluctuate. There's going to be good days, there's going to be bad days, but the type of guilt that one can feel and the isolation and, you know, they should have done more and they should have been this, you know, should have been there and they should have seen the signs. It's now your turn. It's like you need to see the signs. You need to be observant uh, of, you know, your close friends and family. So, yeah, I, I would keep an eye on just their activity and not to put them under the microscope, just being, if you're a friend, be an extra good friend during this time. Because sometimes we can get shut down by that. No, no, man, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Have a beer. Yeah, well, that's that's the thing. It's like the she'll be right attitude. But, you know, there's strength in vulnerability. And the strength in vulnerability means embracing the totality of who you are. You know, you're born with masculine and feminine. And this is where I want to change the, you know, help change the game in terms of whether it's in Australia or America or worldwide is that, you know, we're not soldiers as guys. 
you know, it, it's okay to open up. And when someone opens up, you know, you really see see the essence of them, see their authenticity, see the, see their strength, because it does take, you know, guts and bravery to sort of like, even if it's to your closest mates, you've never done that. They're going to really appreciate that. They're going to be inspired by that. They are, their eyes are going to be opened. And you know what? If they're not, they're, they're probably not the mates you need to be hanging around with. I guarantee you, you, you start talking like this to your friends. The first couple of times might be a little bit, oh, Marsh, what was he talking about? You know, he's gone a little bit funny. You keep going once or twice, they know the truth because deep down, you know, it's something that they're, it's not that they're discovering about themselves. They're just remembering it's, you know, it's something that's innately within all of us. And I was one that was completely never shed, showed any emotion whatsoever through this whole process of the last 10 years. Uh, you know, I've, I've become a, a woman in many respects to, I'll get grief from my, um, from my, you know, my girlfriend and, and friends there, you know, they're just like, you're a completely different person these days. But, you know, I, I feel like there's a real strength in vulnerability and it doesn't matter whether you're you're a man or a woman. But as you said, man, we live in a as, as far as I see it, and I really resonated with what you said that we we live in a reality that is based upon balance, based on equilibrium. Yeah. And yes, yeah. indeed, inside the masculine of all of us, there is there is a feminine. It's not, it, and in my opinion, it's it's not to be shunned. It's it's to be embraced. You know, that's that's a part of who we are. Look, and it's going to take time. It's it's not going to be something where every guy is going to be at the pub and all of a sudden there's going to be Kleenex at the table and everyone's going to be passing it around, shedding, shedding a tear. But, you know, slowly but surely, I feel like, you know, because there is so much awareness and that's going along with certain subjects like suicide, you know, it's time. It's, there's a changing of a guard. There's more, you know, it's more more evident as well. I, I know even within my friends, the, the conversations are changing. The conversations are changing. And, and I, I know that's probably got something to do with age in your early 30s, but at the same time, you know, they're reading some of the stuff I'm writing about. Um, they're reading other people. They're, they're starting to sort of, you know, open up their eyes a little bit. So it's, it's good to see. I can only talk from my circle of friends, but I can see some real growth and, and change within that. And, you know, I'm, I'm proud to have the friends that I do. Mate, it's been, it's been great to speak with you today. We finish each of these conversations with the same three questions, all right? So for November this year, what kind of moustache is going to be adorning your face? Mate, I'm going the handlebar for sure. I always have a uh, a regular mo that the uh, the '80s sort of uh, '80s Australian mo, but it's it doesn't hasn't really looked so great on me. I've always had the gap between the um, the top lip and the chin. At the ripe old age of 33, some hairs just sprouting all over the place. So I think I can pull off the handlebar this year, mate. I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. When it comes to your mates, I know we've talked about your friends a lot today, but when it comes to your mates, what quality do you appreciate most in them? Their own authenticity, you know, whatever qualities that make them special. You know, like I said, I'm pretty fortunate to have some some great friends, but I just appreciate their genuine natures and they generally care and are interested in what you're doing with your life and they're there to support you and and vice versa. But we all want to see each other, you know, live sort of you know happy lives and in some way make a contribution, but you know, honor the life that you've been gifted. And the final question, if you could pick up your phone and speed dial eighteen year old Marshall, what would you say to him? Uh, I had a motto at 18 that was more a bit of a negative motto at the time. I, I kind of didn't didn't care, to be honest with you. It was kind of a weird time, but I, I'd say feed yourself joy, share it with the world, and like I said that last sentence before, honor the life that you've been gifted and, you know, find that thing that you love and just, just go for it and share it, man. And the old adage is true. You know, when you smile, the world smiles with you. It's yeah. been fantastic to speak with you today. Hug New York City for all of us, all right? 
I will, mate. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. No worries, brother. Take care. Bye-bye. See you, mate. Bye. That was Marshall Dunn. I'm grateful that I could share that conversation with you, though it should never replace a conversation with your own doctor. You can find us on Facebook by searching for Movember. Subscribe to us in the podcast app of your choice, SoundCloud or iTunes. This episode of Movember Radio was produced by myself, Oshie Ginsberg, and Molly Hindman with Lavanya Nagendran. Music was by Toe Hider. Audio production on this episode was by Daryl Misson. Have a great week. Thank you so much for listening. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.